Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The South Bay Show, Manhattan Beach Chamber 360. On Friday, September 8th, 2021. I'm sorry, September 3rd, 2021. Live, love, laugh, and leave a legacy. That's what we do here in the South Bay of Los Angeles, and it's a beautiful place to do just that. The South Bay Show is brought to you by the Manhattan Beach Chamber of Commerce. The Chamber of Commerce has been serving the community since 1941. It is an association of businesses, other entities, and individuals organized to encourage a strong local economy and quality of life by promoting commerce, sound government, and an informed membership and community. I'm your host, Joe Terry, and you can read all about our many adventures on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash The South Bay Show. Persistence, passion, principle, and purpose. This is what we talk about here on The South Bay Show. And, of course, joining us as co-host, the president and CEO of the Manhattan Beach Chamber, Kelly Stroman. Hey, Kelly, how are you today? Good morning and happy Friday, Joe. I'm fantastic. It's Friday and it's a holiday weekend, (laughs) so I am looking forward to maybe just a little bit of a break this weekend. That would be nice, but um, I just, you know, when you, it's so funny how you stumbled, you stumbled over the date, and uh, as you were saying, I go, I I just can't believe it's September. Like, we, it just, (laughs) the year has gone so fast, and it's just hard to believe that we are in September, and kids are back in school. And life goes on, right? So um, right, right. it's amazing. Fall is looming. I actually bought pumpkin spice coffee the other day. Um, Carolina in the <laughs> office was so excited. <laughs> we're, we're ready for yeah. fall, ready for, you know, Halloween decorations are out. All the big fall events are, you know, gearing up. And I just do, right. I kind of pinch myself going, oh, my gosh. Wait, it's not still March or February? You know, like, it's September. Um, it's just one of those mm-hmm. years. And, you know, you, your parents always said, wait till you get older, time will fly. And, and sh- it sure does, right? I guess we're older now, Joe. So. <laughs> Uh-oh. Are you sure? <laughs> no. Like, I'm not. <laughs> A new <No>. flash. <laughs> um, but yeah. um, anyways. Um, uh, it's all good. It's all good. Happy to be here with you. Well, you, and, um, you, you could rest, Kelly, if it wasn't for the bomb, the beach, <laughs> so, best of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Yes, best of Manhattan. Thank you for that layup, that transition joke. We have been, <laughs> but we are just, it just shifts into another gear. And we are wow. in full best of Manhattan plan mode. We are within the 60-day mark, and the nomination period ended last weekend. Mm. And we have, mm-hmm. um, you know, tabulated the votes, as they say, and we have the top three in each category, um, which I would love to announce if you would allow me the pleasure of announcing the finalists because um, the voting portal Ooh. for that is open. Ooh. And 
uh, right after the show today. We're going to be sending out a, a blast to everybody with um, those news. So you can be the first to hear. Would you like that? That I love it. It's it's my favorite sound effect. Do you know that makes me smile? I was so hoping you were doing that. <laughs> I love the drum roll. You know I love that drum roll. Okay, let's do yes, it. So yes. Best of Manhattan Awards are okay. coming back in person on October 21st at the beautiful West Drift Hotel in Manhattan Beach from 5 to 9 p.m. You don't want to miss this. It will be beautiful. It will be the best ever, as I say. And we also are celebrating our 80th anniversary, so there will be a little extra turbocharged to the evening with an 80th anniversary kind of tribute and, and a lot of fun. Um, we've also added some new awards, one of which is called a Hall of Fame Award, which in a few weeks I will announce who our first ever Hall of Fame recipient will be. But that's going to remain a secret mm. until after the mm-hmm. finalist voting period. So, um, again, finalist voting period is open, and all of you are the first to hear who are the finalists in each category. Okay, here we go. Uh, Women-owned yeah. business. The finalists are Rocket Body Pilates, Tabula Rasa Essentials, mm. and Undisputed Fight Academy. Um, Small and mm. Mighty is Growing Wild, Inner Glimmer, Pages of Bookstore. And we had a tie in this category, so we actually have four finalists. And the fourth finalist is Tabula uh, um, Tabula. Rasa Essentials. And by the way, I'm announcing the finalists in alphabetical order, so it doesn't mean kind of where they landed. Um, Healthy Living Award. Um, The Daily, which is kind of like an online blog and exercise um, uh, instructor here in Manhattan Beach, um, Undisputed Fight Academy, which is a kickboxing and and, uh, empowerment um, for kids and and women and whoever, but um, really cool academy. And then the Yoga Loft. Okay, next category, who called the doctor? Now, before I announce the um, finalists in this category, I just have to say, when people were writing in their nominations um, for who called the doctor, somebody wrote in, your mama. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Who called the doctor? Your mama. (laughs) I thought that was funny. Um, Okay. Um, The finalist for who called the doctor should be your mama, but it is um, Amanda Lee Murphy, who's an acupuncturist, Dr. Ashley McGovern, the owner of Manhattan Dermatology, and Ryan, Dr. Ryan Seibel, the owner of Look Up Tree in Metlock. Okay, next category. It's Home Sweet Home, which is the real estate category. The finalists are Kasky and Kasky, Denton and Denton, and Strand Hill Properties. Uh, a new category mm-hmm. called Local Love for Manhattan Beach. This is what individual or family um, just, you know, exudes love and support for Manhattan Beach. Couldn't be a business, had to be an individual. Uh, the finalists in this category are Jeff and Pierre Sirota, who are the ones that created that local love for Manhattan Beach fund last um, spring at the beginning of the pandemic. Uh, we also have Maureen right. McBride, who is the owner of Tabula Rasa Essentials, and the Zisless right. Group, our friends Mike Zisless over there. Uh, excuse me, the Zisless family, not Zisless group. Um, sorry. Um, okay. Okay. Next new okay. category is new business of the year. Don't ask me why we've never had a new business of the year category, but we do this year finally. And uh, we also have a tie in this category, so we have four finalists. Uh, number one in alpha order is Culture Brewing, the new tap room. 
founded 1912, mm-hmm. a wonderful swimwear shop, Nando Trattoria, and Pure Dermatology. Next category is Pay It Forward, those companies that just constantly give to the community. We have Connecta Federal Credit Union, Skechers, the Strand House in that category. Um, whittling mm-hmm. down to the last three, Dine MB. Our finalists are Love and Salt, Slay, Steak and Fish, and the Strand House. Making a difference okay. is a nonprofit category. Which nonprofits make a difference in the community? We have Manhattan Beach Education Foundation. Manhattan Beach Hometown Fair, and the Neptunian Women's Club. And then last but not least, the big best of Manhattan category is Skechers, Strand Hill Properties, and the Ziffless Group. So voting is open. Go to ManhattanBeachChamber.com. Click on the Best in Manhattan visual. It will take you to vote. Uh, Vote for the finalists that can't win unless you vote for them. Voting is open until September 21st, Um, so almost three weeks of voting. And uh, the winners will not be announced until one month later, October 21st. That sounds like a long time, but these days with the supply mm-hmm. chain being a little messed up, we have to give extra time for, to order trophies and things like <laughs> that. So uh, we had to, you know, start a little early, but super excited. And then um, after yeah. the voting period is over, I will be announcing the Bob Maestro local legend recipient, as well as our first mm-hmm. Hall of Fame recipient. Um, mm-hmm. The chamber mm-hmm. member of the year will be announced. That's decided by the board of directors. That will be announced the night of the um, awards. And then we're also uh, recognizing first responders, um, the first responder of the year in the, for the fire department and the police department. So uh, very excited. Wow. Uh, I, momentum is building. People I'm are so looking forward to it. Yeah, and at this point, it is in person. We are absolutely in person. And so L.A. County tells us we can't. So that is the plan. Um, we had another really good celebration no, no. Um, this week. Go ahead. Yes. Well, I was I'm just going to say, I, I, not that I'm counting, but I think I heard that Tabla Rasa was was nominated finalist in three categories. Yeah, Tabula women Rasa owned. is in women-owned business and small and mighty, and then Maureen yeah. herself is nominated in the yeah. local love for Manhattan Beach. Yeah, and then also, yeah. if we're counting, um, Undisputed, uh, Undisputed Fight Academy, which is owned by Kitty Ladachi, um, she's, you know, that uh, her business is nominated in Healthy Living and Women-Owned Business, those two. So, yeah, um, girl right. power, power to the girl, uh, <laughs> wow. and power to the women-owned business. Um, but everybody, there's so many people that make Manhattan Beach so wonderful and, you know, uh, really care. So this is a fun way to recognize them, and it will be a very festive, fun mm-hmm. evening. Um, just just love it. So um, anyways, um, we had another big celebration this week that is um, always worthy of mentioning, but particularly during a pandemic and after being shut down periodically for the last 19 months. Um, Waterleaf Interiors over in, excuse me, Metlock Plaza celebrated their 15th anniversary, which is just insane. 15 on Wednesday night, Mm. we were over there celebrating with them. 15 years of beautifying homes and businesses in Manhattan Beach. Um, They grew from just interior design to having a storefront with um, beautiful retail options and, um, 
uh, we just, we, you know, really Jill Johnson and um, uh, Suzanne Asher are the owners of that. And we just had a wonderful time celebrating with them. And uh, congratulations right. to them for 15 years. Uh, not, not easy. And, um, you know, that means that Metmox Plaza is 15 years old, which is pretty amazing also. Um, so <clears throat> we had fun doing that. Congratulations to them. And, um, you know, we've had a lot of other things going on. Next week is Rosh Hashanah. We, could, we should mention that to everybody. Um, Rosh Hashanah yeah. is coming up and always, you know, a, a very important celebration um, in the Jewish community. Right. And uh, it's a new year. What else? It's Labor Day. Yeah. Um, Labor Day weekend. Um, we'll give a shout out to our friends to the south in Hermosa. It's Fiesta Hermosa weekend. And yes, it is happening despite the pandemic. There will be a lot of changes, I know. I'm not in charge of that. Um, my friend Jessica Accomando mm-hmm. is down in Hermosa, but that's a big weekend that is happening. Um, Tour de Pier is um, next weekend, not this one, but um, on September 11th uh, and 12th. Uh, the 11th is Ride the Night down at the Manhattan Beach Pier, Tour de Pier, which raises money for pancreatic cancer. Um, wonderful event uh, that started here in Manhattan Beach. And then on Sunday the 12th is the big Tour de Pier day where hundreds of you know, stationary bikes are planted down at the pier. And there's, you know, there's kind of like a little um, festival and, you know, exhibits all around it and everything. It's, it's quite fun. So, um, and then coming up, our friends um, uh, Patricia Jones at PSI Love You, Day at the Beach, that wonderful event that brings inner city kids to the beach, often for the first time, is September 18th for PSI Love You Foundation. But just there's so much happening. School's back in. Um, you know, we're gearing up for Best of Manhattan Hometown Fair Committee and the Manhattan Beach 10K is gearing up for their, you know, events. And it's just so exciting um, to, you know, be able to hold a ribbon cutting or these bigger events. People really are enjoying getting out and connecting. And, and some that aren't mm-hmm. comfortable yet doing that, then they don't. You know, that's okay, too. Um, you know, there's something mm-hmm. for everyone, I always say. So um, very fun and um, there's, you know, other changes in Manhattan Beach and in the world happening, and I'm excited to have a returning yeah. guest back this morning to talk about, um, you know, other very important environmental-based changes in, in Manhattan Beach right. and, of course, that affects other areas, too. But, um, you know, sometimes I think during the last 19 months, um, Rightfully so. We've all been so focused on, you know, saving businesses and um, some of the best practices that were instituted before then um, have been lost a little bit. Like, for instance, you know, when during the heat of the pandemic, you couldn't take your own grocery bags back into the store. You had to, you were at the mercy right. of paper bags or plastic bags. I hate those plastic bags right. in the stores. They, they just bug me. Um, the paper, paper ones I can handle, <laughs> but, um, and you know, and then they, gosh, you saw the plastic bags everywhere and, um, let alone all the masks, you know, that, you know, wind up on the ground that wind up mm-hmm. in the storm drains that wind up in the oceans and, and so much of mm-hmm. that, there's been definitely a significant impact, um, on environmental things because of the pandemic. But I think also people kind of, you know, got away a little bit from some of those best practices. So time to get back on track. Right. And our guest today is going right. to help us with that, but so much more, um, because she is so much more. <laughs> 
Okay. Well, um, I wonder, Kelly, who's our guest today? Okay, Joe, let's do it. We have a returning guest, Dana Murray, the Environmental Sustainability, I can't talk, Sustainability Manager for the City of Manhattan Beach, uh, where she leads environmental sustainability policies and programs, including climate resiliency, coastal adaptation planning, reducing plastic pollution, expanding the Manhattan Beach Green Business Program, native habitat restoration, and climate change mitigation. Dana is leading the city's first ever climate ready program, which includes evaluating climate hazards for the city, such as sea level rise and storm drain flooding, developing a climate action Mm -hmm. and adaptation plan, updating the city's local coastal program land use plan and local hazards mitigation plan, and implementing a living shoreline project. I want to hear more about that. Uh, Dana represents right. the city of Manhattan Beach as an alternate on the board of directors for the Clean Power Alliance of Southern California and is a member of Green Cities California and the Urban Sustainability Directors Network. Uh, formerly, Dana was a senior marine scientist and coastal policy manager at Heal the Bay, where she worked on science and policy issues related to coastal habitats and marine wildlife in California. Completing hundreds of scientific dives underwater, she has been a research diver for Reef Check since 2003 mm. and was awarded Citizen mm. Scientist of the Decade. Wow, um, big award there. <laughs> she, we don't have one like that at Best in Manhattan. Ours are important, but that's big. She was previously a Peace Corps volunteer, a conservation science researcher, for the World Wildlife Fund and the Director of Education at the California Wildlife Center. Dana earned her master's degree right. in environmental science and management from UC Santa Barbara, specializing in conservation planning and coastal marine resource management. Uh, Dana, you are a superwoman. Welcome back to the show. We are so glad you are here with us on this beautiful Friday morning. Thanks for having me, you guys. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for being here. And uh, I, I, Dana, what a wonderful time. What a perfect time to have you on the show because we get to, to frame what you do for the city of Manhattan Beach in the context of what they are now saying was a 500-year event in the northern east, northeastern part of our country. Um, first, you know, Ida slammed into the coast, uh, as a category three hurricane. Oh my God. That's the last thing that Louisiana and, and Mississippi and Alabama need, but then it races up the country in a northeasterly direction and then slams into a cold front and creates this unprecedented, uh, event in the Northeast, in Maryland, in in Boston, in New York, shutting down the largest subway system in our country with unbelievable pictures of water. Dana, what is going on? I know it's it's it is timely, and it's one of those things. I was so busy with work yesterday, I didn't get to see those videos until the end of the day, and. 
even though I, I you know, study climate change and especially help prepare our communities for it and, and try to mitigate it, seeing those images in especially New York City, um, sh shocking. And the thing is, you know, it was the first flash flood warning in New York City's history. And I think that's what we keep seeing is that if you remember, like, every year here in California, we're getting, like, the world's worst wildfire season in history. You know, one of the right. – another drought. You know, every – every or the or more big hurricanes than we've had in history. And every year, we seem to be setting all these different records, and a lot of them are exacerbated by human-caused climate change. And it's w – before mm. I launch into it, I do want to remind everybody, it is not too late. We know what we need to do. Mm. And if we mm -hmm. all do our part and government leads and businesses lead, we still have a chance of, in a corny way, saving our planet and saving our, our communities. And one of the things that um, I really take to heart as a, a public servant in local government is that, you know, making sure that we utilize the best minds out there, the best scientists to help us evaluate what are our risks here in the South Bay. You know, what, what climate change effects mm -hmm. are we seeing now? What are we going to see in the future? And then how do we best plan and adapt and create more resiliency in our communities so we can better um, buffer ourselves against these effects? And in the same turn, how do we aggressively cut greenhouse gas emissions so we reduce our community's um, contribution to climate change? And I was talking to my daughter last night because uh, she's, she's 10 and I wanted her to see these images because it's historic. And I told her, you right. know what, on the hardest days like this, um, Coral, her, her name is Coral, I said, you know, I just remind myself that I'm working for a better world for you, Coral, for your sister, for your friends. And then, mm -hmm. and then she's like, and for the animals, what about the animals on the planet? And, <laughs> and it's true, you know, and, and we have to keep remaining hopeful. And I know this has been a really tough year and a half for all of us on multiple levels. But as long as we keep right. working for the common good and trying to help more people, right. I think uh, we can try to remain optimistic and, and help each other out, you know? It's really corny, I, but it's I, been a heavy, heavy be, week. <laughs> it's, it's been a very heavy week, and uh, the first flash flood in the history of New York City, is if that's not newsworthy enough, we are in the middle right smack dab in the middle, Dana, of the sixth largest animal sort of species extinction event that this planet has ever seen. Um, this is not something that can be ignored, but even though it may have been ignored for, you know, a while, it's it now needs to be addressed from the top down and um, everyone needs to get on board and get involved. And, and I'm not talking about here in the U S I'm talking about all over the planet. Well, it's, it's a good time for environmental sustainability managers, I think. Yeah. It, it makes uh, the work is more rewarding. It's more urgent. Um, right. I will say that like my, my professional networks, so people who have my job in other cities, especially in Southern California or, or California on the whole, I'm part of this group called Green Cities California. Um, you know, we, we meet and talk regularly to support each other because it can get 
mm-hmm. you know, we're developing these hazard analyses on climate change for the city, and it can get, you know, a little, um, I don't want to say depressed, you know, a little little discouraging or depressing, but we support each other, and we, we cross-pollinate with different ideas, and the biggest thing is mm-hmm. that, you know, it, just like we were taught in, in grade school, you know, being part of the solution. And so I just always remind myself on those harder days or, or the long days that, you know, working for being part of the solution, not just as an individual and as a family, but even as a community and local government. And I think that, you know, climate change, sometimes it feels so big that it might feel a little bit paralyzing to people thinking, like, what can I do? Like, you know, there's there's entire mm-hmm. countries, there's entire industries that, that really need to change. But it's one of those things that, yes, there's, there's big at the top, huge businesses, huge government that, um, you know, really – need to take leadership and, and changes, but there's also the choices we all make every day and the things that we support that can also make huge differences. So it, I, I mm-hmm. just hope that, mm-hmm. especially after our little talk today, that people can walk away thinking, okay, I can be a part of the solution. I can support these advances, and it's not too late for us to you know, save our planet. So so let's start down the list. I mean, I know that um, we want to highlight what you and the city of Manhattan Beach is doing, but also in the larger context, what can every individual do, no matter what city you live in? What are some of the the things that you're encouraging and or organizing the city city of Manhattan Beach and the residents to do that someone can copy in, you know, New York or Massachusetts? Sure. Um, So, you know, we do science-based policy, and especially with climate science. And what you first do is you can assess on, on climate change specifically that I'll be looking at. Um, we can do a greenhouse gas emissions inventory. So greenhouse gases are basically the fossil fuels, so oil, uh, natural gas, things like that, coal, you know, that, that create pollution in our atmosphere that contributes to um, global warming, and it's basically causing these cascading effects that we're seeing around the globe because it's changing our climate. And so one of the, the, pretty much the main thing we all need to do is cut the amount of those fossil fuel emissions that are getting into our atmosphere. And it helps local air quality too, right? Who doesn't want clean air? Just like who doesn't want clean water? Right. And so you see local benefits. And if you look at our city and pretty much any city in California and our state emissions, Um, The biggest contributor is transportation, and then the second one is electricity. So transportation I'll get to in a little bit because that's a a tough one because it's a, Mm -hmm. especially for a smaller city like Manhattan Beach where we don't have our own public transportation, it can be a little bit more challenging to address. Um, So I'm going to skip over to electricity for one. So our city is one of 15 cities in the L.A. County area um, that is moving, well, that we're going to be running on 100% clean renewable energy in October. And so that is a huge accomplishment. And that what? means that all the businesses, all the, res- the, all the homes in Manhattan Beach will be running off of solar and wind and clean energy. And that means mm-hmm. people who own an electric vehicle, when they charge it in their house at home, the, energy, the electricity that's, that's charging their vehicle is also clean. And That's the greatest beautiful. thing, um, and there's and there's other, like I said, there's 14 other cities that are doing this in L.A. County, so we're not alone, too. But 
but this means that, and this is through Clean Power Alliance of Southern California. It's a, basically mm -hmm. a nonprofit mm -hmm. made up of 32 public agencies. Um, we're mm -hmm. now the largest um, through Clean Power Alliance. There's more people on renewable energy than any other um, electricity provider in the country. So um, our mm -hmm. communities in LA and Ventura County are leading the way on this too, and it's really exciting. Now, now, and, Dana, I I, mm -hmm. I know that there's technical issues. I just wanted to get a little bit of the technical, like 30 seconds of the technical, which is, yeah, we're all connected to the same power grid. We're all connected to the same power lines. Nothing's changed in terms of infrastructure. But explain how a city might might say, okay, the power that we get is going to be counted from, you know, renewable sources. Can you explain a little bit how that works and how that's accounted for? Oh, sure. Okay. So what, what Clean Power Alliance is, it's an electric, electricity supply provider. And it, Clean Power Alliance is made up of these different jurisdictions. But it's also a partnership with Edison. So Southern California Edison, our investor-owned utility in the area, they still deliver the energy. They maintain the lines, the infrastructure, the billing. Clean mm -hmm. Power Alliance is just mm -hmm. like procuring our energy. And the way the Western grid works, and this is a good thing for all of us, because as we saw in Texas earlier this year where um, it's not as distributed, you can have huge power outages, and there's not building resiliency. So in the Western grid, there's this group called CAISO, C-A-I-S-O, and what it does is it, mm -hmm. it – it brings all our energy to, together and then distributes it. So our piece of that pie in Manhattan Beach, what we're buying is all that clean, renewable energy. And what we're seeing in this Western grid, and especially in California, is that demand for renewables is increasing. And so there's, there's right. also minimums in California that a certain percentage has to be coming from clean energy, and that's going up every year. And so it's one of those right. things that we're helping drive the market, too. So, for instance, yesterday at the Clean Power Alliance board meeting, um, Mayor Pro Tem Hildy Stern and I were both in attendance there. Two new solar and battery storage energy projects in um, Southern California were just approved. So they're going to be going online in the next mm. year or so, powering it. And so we're seeing a, a – or, you know, just like last year we approved a project where there was a decommissioned um, natural gas plant out in the desert – and they used that mm -hmm. same ground to basically make a wind farm. And so we're seeing a conversion of moving away from fossil fuel power to renewables. And it's, it's really creating win-wins. And the price of renewables is, is starting to go down as well. Right. Fantastic. This is great. I love this. <laughs> Kelly, and, I love this. And I'll tell you guys another uh, little good news. In, in environmental. Yes? The, um, in fact, I'll just give an example of a resident I talked to the other day. Um, and, and Clean Power Alliance offers like walking people through their bills so you can try to calculate what this change, because it'll cost a little bit more to go renewable. Um, it's about, depending on if, um, wh what kind of energy usage there's going on and what kind of, uh, if it's com uh, commercial or residential, but the energy purchasing, the, uh, the price of energy is going to go up by about 25 to 3% in October with this. Mm -hmm. And so the other day I was calculating mm -hmm. it um, with a resident and we calculated that. So her bill is going to go up $2.70 a month. And she's like, do you mean that mm -hmm. I can go from 50% renewable energy to 100% for 
for $2.70 a month, and I'm basically helping save the planet? And I said, yes. You know, and we don't, and we don't have to do anything. It just, is, is, it, it just can happen like that. And I think that that was powerful. It made her feel like, you know, this is an easy way, and she could afford $2.70 to really um, help make a difference. Right. You know, Dana, you talked about um, that something kind of honestly as simple as that that requires education because when people understand, they go, wow, that's it. It's that simple. I can do that. And I'm making a difference, you know, in the environment and in the world. Um, what, and I know you have young kids. I mean, you, you mentioned earlier, you know, your daughter is in Girl Scouts. And uh, what, and I know you work with several youth in the community too. What, kind of changes have you seen just recently in the last couple of years in, in the youth sector? Because, yes, you and I are working to leave the planet a better place for our children and our grandchildren, but, you know, if kids starting young now can make a difference, a huge difference, and, uh, and just have the mindset that this is the way of life. So, um, you know, what's being done in the schools and what is being done, like, even in organizations like the Girl Scouts? Like, is there an environmental badge now? And I was a Girl Scout. Um, and I can tell you back when, way back when I was a Girl Scout, there was no talk of any type of environmental badge or anything like that. So what is happening in, you know, other groups like that? Oh, it's been amazing to see. Um, I mean, I remember when I was in elementary school, there was this book, like, 50 Ways Kids Can Help Save the Planet. And it was really mm-hmm. inspiring. It was really inspiring to me, um, obviously. <laughs> obviously. Um, but these days, I mean, it's it's in, embedded in school curriculum. Kids are forming their own clubs and groups. I mean, even when I was in middle school, the most popular club on in my middle school was the the Marine Society, and we worked on marine conservation. And I was in a in a, a middle school that was in the mountains. It wasn't even near the coast. So kids, you know, kids really have intrinsic value for the earth, for animals, for plants. And I think they see these changes and they're in the midst of learning science so they understand it. And especially at the, I'm seeing at the elementary level too, but especially at the middle school and high school level, we're having young leaders emerge. You know, Miracosta High School has a climate change club. Uh, You know, Mm -hmm. Grades of Green started in Manhattan Beach and is in all the schools. And in fact, I was one of the judges for the annual Grades of Green um, competition earlier this year, I got to hear these presentations from middle school and high school kids and elementary kids around the country and many in Southern California, and the projects they're they're trying to implement at their schools. Like there are elementary kids working on a waste reduction program for their school, or other ones working on mm-hmm. huge tree planting events to green their their playgrounds. And mm-hmm. these are are. Student-led, just like Girl Scouts, as as troops get older and the girls get older, I'm a I, I'm a leader of a junior Girl Scout troop. So they're fourth and fifth graders. As they get older, they start to take more of the leadership role in planning over the adults, and mm-hmm. it's amazing to see. So we kind of, you know, when they're younger, we kind of show them the template and how like effective leadership and change and projects. And then as they get older, you know, they become those leaders and those change makers. And they don't have to wait until they're in college or they're adults. We're seeing it at a young level. And it's mm-hmm. really inspiring. And it makes it so that I can, you know, look in my my kids or my Girl Scout troops' faces or high schoolers and middle schoolers who reach out to me here in Manhattan Beach and say, you know, I, I'm with you. I'm, help, I'm trying to help you. Mm-hmm. And, and let me know how I can further help. And I think that's... Mm-hmm. 
any of us adults, you know, to do. We can be mentors, but at the same time, being open and learning from them as well. Okay, so then mm-hmm. let's. I love the fact that it's going down, you know, to ages starting really in kindergarten, you know, um, with just simply recycling their, you know, their trash after lunch mm-hmm. or whatever. Let's go up to and I, yeah, yes, and Grace Green. In fact, we're having back on the show in two weeks too. I always love talking with them to find out what's happening in the schools. Let's go to college level. So I know you know many, many, many countless universities across the country have <clears throat> environmental science, environmental studies programs, uh, and different things. So what is you know where can a college graduate who is you know graduating in an environmental science or studies um, major, where's a good place for them to start in the workforce? Oh, great question. And this has really been, and I'll date myself, I don't mind it. I was in college at UCLA 20 years ago. And at the time, I majored <laughs> in uh, geography and environmental studies, which mm-hmm. at the time was like the most interdisciplinary program, meaning, you know, we, we studied a bit of political science and um, biology and all, all different topics to kind of look at something more holistically. Nowadays, and when I went to grad school, so many universities, if not most of them, have these interdisciplinary kind of solving real-world problems while you're in school. So, for instance, Mm -hmm. like a a master's thesis project will actually have like a real client, a real, whether it's a business like like Decker's Outdoor Corporation trying to green their practices, or it's Mm -hmm. a nonprofit trying to develop a, a conservation plan, and they have undergrad students or grad students actually working on that project and those plans. So it's not just theoretical, it's actually working on real world problems while they're in college and while they're in grad school. And mm-hmm. I, I have an uh, environmental sustainability intern at the city. It's just a part-time intern, but they have to be a college or a recent grad, college student or recent grad. And I get the most applications for that internship than any other internship in the city. And I think it just wow. goes to show how many um, young adults really see the urgency and the importance of this. And my mm-hmm. main advice is, I mean, right after college, I went into the Peace Corps, and I feel like that gave me a lot of perspective, you know, living in a developing mm-hmm. country and living, you know, I was living off 100 U.S. dollars a month. Um, and, <laughs> and I was teaching about environmental education and stuff, but I also had to understand where the local people were coming from. And I think that was a good lesson that any of us, whether it's the community we live in or somewhere we move to, you know, meeting people where they're at and listening to them and then working collectively on a solution. So it's not like people who are coming out of college with an environmental degree go in somewhere and say exactly how it should be done. Instead, like meeting with the community, figure out what those values are, what those concerns are, what the solutions the community can come up with, and then kind of helping that um, direct some of the work um, to solve environmental problems. And so there's so mm-hmm. much, there's actually a lot of jobs in the environmental field. So young grads, um, I mean, the best way to get in if they want to work in environmental nonprofits um, is to start interning or volunteering. There's mm-hmm. also environmental consulting, which is a big field. Um, and those are, you know, I would say that's the private industry, as well as um, most businesses, a lot of especially larger businesses, they have sustainability managers trying to green their practices, do corporate social mm-hmm. responsibility. So that would be the private industry. And then, of course, public industry, whether it's local government, state agencies, federal agencies like U.S. Fish and Wildlife or U.S. Forest Service, um, 
there's a lot of, and then there's, of course, international work, like the UN um, Environmental Program or the UN Development Program. And sustainability is, is what I've seen in my 20 years in this field is really, rather than having environmental sustainability be so uh, in a silo, it's really starting to permeate everywhere. And that, for instance, that's what we're trying to do in our city is that anything that's related to the environment doesn't just directly go to me. It's kind of cross-departmental working on it, trying to have more sustainable practices in all of our departments. And I think that's what we're starting to see in a lot of different businesses, too. And, and it makes people feel good because it's for the common good. It's not something political. It's not something partisan. It's something that, you know, we all find value with and we all want, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now um, let's progress up to the business level. Um uh, I know, gosh, t- 10 years ago, whenever uh, it was the plastic bag ban and, and uh, styrofoam container you know, ban is kind of where it all started here, I think, locally in Manhattan Beach um, 10 plus years ago. <clears throat> and at the time, people were like, oh, my gosh, we can't do without this. And now it's like, oh, I don't want that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, as well as greening the businesses um, and like working with, you know, waste management will go in and, and, and help also their wonderful partner. How, in your opinion, in Manhattan Beach, if you had to give the city business community, a, you know, an overall grade, how are we doing in the business community? Oh, I think we're doing excellent. A grade, I would say a B plus to an A minus. Yeah, and that's and it's not and it's (laughs) probably the reason. The only reason it's not an A is probably for like more. We probably need more green building, um, and sustainable building practices like the structure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Mm -hmm. um, we have what's called, and I know Kelly, you're familiar with this, but there's the California Green Business Network, and Mm -hmm. many cities across our state um, are part of this network. And the good news is that I've been funding this fully through getting grants from the EPA. Um, and so we have the, the Manhattan Beach Green Business Network, and we've had, I don't know the exact number, but it's over 50 businesses in Manhattan Beach have been certified. And that means that they've gone through basically an audit and then improvements to reduce waste, to save water, and reduce energy consumption. And there's other little things, like, you know, like having more green um, cleaning products and stuff like that, too. And the really cool thing is that um, usually environmental work um, is consistent with um, economic bottom lines. So obviously if you're reducing waste and saving water and reducing energy, you're also reducing your utility bills. You're reducing the amount of, of new things that you need to buy. And so there's usually win-wins. And, of course, there's a like promotional opportunity for the businesses here when they get green business certified. We have it on our website if any businesses are listening and would like to be a part of it. Um, and also, I think not to promote just any one business over another, but you know we have businesses popping up around Southern California, and we have one in our city that try to really reduce like the single-use plastics that are even holding the products we buy, whether it's laundry soap or dish soap. And it's also healthier for people because the more that we're, the less we're depending on things that are in plastic, where there can be carcinogens, and the more we're using glass and wood and metal, um, the healthier it is for us and our homes. And so. I think it's it's kind of cool that I hear and see people, you know, bringing their their glass jars and just getting soap at a local business called the Wasteless Shop. 
and it's been so successful. Mm-hmm. I think they're opening another wasteless shop in another part of LA County. Mm-hmm. Wow! But it we, started um, here. Had, <laughs> yes, it, it did. Just like so many things have started here in Manhattan Beach or the South Bay, um, the wasteless shop is wonderful. We've had uh, Stephanie, the owner, on the show before. Jody, remember that? She was um, about a year ago. I, I think. do. And, so what, fun! What a wonder- Such a great I, I show. love the yeah the 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 woolen dryer balls. I love those. Yes. Yeah. Occasionally, my dog mistakes them for a tennis ball, and she's running around <laughs> with a wool ball in her mouth. Yeah. But that's okay. She's trying to be environmentally sound, so we 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 applaud her. Right. Uh, as we take it away from right. her. <laughs> reuse. Uh, well, reuse. Reuse. Yeah. Recycle. You know, Dana, as you were talking about the business. <clears throat> Where we stand, I, I thought to myself, and maybe this already exists, I don't know it, but I don't think it does. Does it exist maybe here or elsewhere? Or how long do you think it will be before certain environmentally sound practices or solar or lighting or materials to build, you know, the business building, whatever, how long do you think it will be before those are some of those are requirements in order to receive a building permit and and build new you know a new building or something. Well, the for instance on on, on building requirements and they're called building codes. The state updates them the requirements every three years, and then a a city or jurisdiction needs to take a look at those um, requirements and then kind of draft them for a city's um, building codes. And many cities go above and beyond what the state's requiring. And then we adopt them ourselves. In fact, our city is going to go through that process starting late this year and then go through the adoption process all of next year. Um, the last, when this happened a couple years ago in the last batch, and this was all over the news, that it essentially required brand new um, homes to require solar on top. And that's even better for like power resiliency locally because the more we have what's called distributed energy, meaning you're, you're supplying energy from multiple places, that means that when you have a wildfire that takes out transmission lines or you have, um, you know, huge grid strain because everybody's running their ACs because there's a high heat event, if you have multiple sources of energy, especially locally, it's called microgrids, then the more resilient it'll be. So it's, it's a win because you're reducing fossil fuel use, but it's also building more local grid resiliency. And so we're going to start to see that kind of play out. It's only in, in brand new development. And the other thing is that um, what you're talking about, you know, like lighting requirements and stuff, it also goes to like water heating and thermostats and air ventilation and insulation. Those are all efficiency things to try to, you know, if you're trying to heat something up, you're keeping it warm. If you're trying to cool something down, you keep it cool instead of just, you know, um, being inefficient about it. And in that last batch a couple of years ago, it also increased the um, required efficiency of homes by um, – I want to say it was like close to like 40 or 45 percent better than the three years before that. We don't know exactly what it's going to look like for next year's, but I'm already seeing that they're going to start moving towards require that perhaps going to start requiring all new all new residential buildings to be what's called electric ready, and that means when they are mm-hmm. building a new home or um, depends on what the definition is, but it could be like a major renovation or something that. Instead of just putting in a gas line for your dry or clothes dryer or a gas line in for your heater or your stove, making sure that they're, they're built 
with electric lines at all those locations as well, and also electric panels that can handle a larger load. Because the once we're running on clean electricity, it's a lot healthier inside a building if you're not burning natural gas. So like our heaters hmm. and our, our, mm -hmm. our clothes dryers and especially our gas ranges, those, those have pollutants. And so, in fact, there was a study I saw that asthma rates are 45% higher in homes that have gas ranges versus those that don't. And so if That's you... That's interesting. Yeah. That is UCLA amazing. was part of that study. Mm -hmm. I know it's the things you don't know. And I, I've been learning more every year. That's why it's important to go to, you know, these meetings with, with my peers to find out, you know, what's, what, what's the science, what's the news. And, um, mm -hmm. I mean, people can make choices now before it's regulated to, you know, when they get their hot water heaters, get an electric on-demand hot water heater or a, a heat pump. You know, there's, they're usually way more efficient, and it's cleaner air locally and, and regionally because you're not burning fossil fuels to do so. Um, so they're probably going to require that all new residential buildings, the state will, so then all the cities will, um, are built electric ready. And so that means, like, you know, if even if the current owner who built it wants to have a gas stove, but then they sell their house, at least it's got an electric outlet so somebody can put in one of those ceramic induction stoves if they want to have better air quality inside their home. You know, so you don't have to start <clears throat> all over. Oh, and that's interesting, too, because people don't always think of better air quality inside their house. They think of it mm -hmm. out in, outside. So that's, um, that's very, very, very interesting. Um, okay, I know we have about 10 minutes left, and recently the mm -hmm. city has won some awards and is making great strides. Do you want to share kind of, you know, any exciting news with us about what's happening, what you've accomplished? Oh, Sure. So there's this, this organization called the Institute for um, Local Government. In fact, I think one of our council members, um, Richard Montgomery, is on the board of directors. I didn't know that until recently, though. Um, but Institute for Local Government was founded in 1955 here in California, and, it, and their mission is to empower local government leaders and deliver real-world expertise to help them navigate complex issues and increase capacity and build trust in their communities. And... They work with the California State Association of Counties and the League of California Cities, and they offer these awards called Beacon Awards, and they usually are around um, energy efficiency and reducing greenhouse gas emissions. And this, pat this year, they had a new one that was called the Award for Leadership and Innovation in Climate Resilience. So we're talking about at the top of this, this hour about you know, the climate change effects that we, we're seeing around our country and the globe and how to kind of make our cities more resilient to it. And we've been doing that through our Climate Ready Manhattan Beach program. In fact, we had um, nine public workshops from February through June this year. And it was all, it was all on Zoom because of the pandemic. Um, but we had over um, or nearly 200 um, participants in these workshops. And we did things like virtual reality with 360 videos. And we did um, polling and, and, and um, focus groups where we talked about it and tried to come up with solutions. And that and going to 100% renewable energy um, made, and, and our dune restoration efforts, which I know, Kelly, you wanted to get back to, um, made the Institute for Local Government recognize us for our um, leadership and innovation and climate resilience. And they said they were particularly impressed with our, um, our community outreach and our extensive community outreach to make it happen. But like I said earlier with what I learned in the Peace Corps is that you really have to make it local and listen to local people and what their values are 
to make it um, relevant and important and, and build that buy-in from the local community. So by the time that I bring our climate action and adaptation plan and our sea level rise adaptation plan and update our city um, plans to the city council, that they'll really be community-owned. They'll reflect what the community values are and what the science is out there. Um, and so it was really mm -hmm. neat to be recognized by this, this uh, Institute for Local Government because it means that you know, our approach is, is right and our approach is um, innovative, even if sometimes it's harder to do all this outreach to develop it because it's almost like you know, developing plans by committee. So it might take longer, it might be a little bit harder to do, but it's the right thing to do that way. Mm -hmm. That's fantastic. Congratulations, Dana. That, that wouldn't Thanks, have happened Kelly. without you, for sure. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm, I'm always amazed when I, you know, I'm in a different city or something, and they, you know, as simple as a restaurant uses styrofoam takeout containers still. And I, how is that not banned in the entire state of California yet? You know, they've been working on it. Um, if, if I'm totally frank, you know, styrofoam is made out of oil, and there's still, you know, it's still a pretty powerful uh, industry that people hear from. Sure. But the, mm -hmm. the good news is, is that there's been, I don't even know the accurate number, but a year ago there were over 90 cities in California that had um, banned polystyrene or styrofoam from, mm -hmm. from single use in, in their cities. And so... Even when the state doesn't lead, we see a lot of local governments. That's a lot of cities to pass these local laws because, for instance, on single-use plastics and styrofoam, the um, you know there's there's carcinogens in that. We really shouldn't be eating food off that, especially hot food. Um, but also, you know, those never go away. The styrofoam is going to outlive us all, and then styrofoam in particular, it'll break down into smaller pieces that look even more like food to seabirds and ocean wildlife and fish and marine mammals. And when they do necropsies of uh, marine life, they typically find a lot of these little bits of plastic and styrofoam in, inside them. And so you think like, wow, and we're, we eat, many of us eat seafood, you know, so it makes you, there's, we're part of a food chain. So it behooves human health to improve um, the health of our ecosystems and our wildlife. And one way to do that is to reduce those single-use plastics in our communities and our environment. It's overwhelming sometimes. I don't know. Does your brain just it's go 100 miles an hour every single day? There's so much information. There's so many <laughs> ways to tackle. There's, there's so much change to do. And I, mean, I just, just the food chain thing you described. Well, of course, you know, yes, it breaks down and then sea life is eating it. And when we eat fish, then it's kind of going into us. I, I didn't, of course, didn't even think about that, right? You know, but I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's amazing. And I mean, I mean, the, the the really good news is that you know these things are are well studied. And by say these things, a lot of these environmental issues I'm bringing up, and we have the solutions. We know what we need to do, and so it's just making it priorities in our communities and our city planning, like like we're doing. I mean, a lot of it's now, um, a lot of this like climate planning is required of cities in California because, in fact, um, our finance department when they found out we were doing all this climate planning. They said, you know, our, our banks and our credit rating said this is really important. It improves our, our city's, like, uh, what do you call it, like insurance and credit scores because mm -hmm. we're not leaving our communities and our homeowners and our businesses in a lurch. You know, we're trying to prepare right. for potential and current effects. And I think that's really important. I feel, I feel it's a strong responsibility. You know, I, 
I was fortunate to receive this education, and I'm invested in our South Bay communities, and I want to make sure that we're doing the best we can. We need more Dana Murrays in the world. <laughs> you too, Kelly. Back right back at you. We need more Kellys, too. <laughs> we we, we oh need more Kellys. Okay, let, uh, we have five minutes left. You, you mentioned ocean life, marine life, and restoration of, you know, um, the dunes and everything. What's happening with that? What, what are we working on in Manhattan Beach, too? Oh, um, this is really exciting. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. this is something I think, and what I've experienced so far, I think the whole community can get behind. So often the best environment, like the most like, kind of green environmental solution is also usually the least expensive. And one way we can kind of protect our coastal infrastructure, meaning it could be everything from the beach bike path and the strand to, you know, like our volleyball courts or our, um, you know, just basically, you know, our, our coast is to look at how there's natural resiliency or living shorelines and, and how does nature do it in other places. And along the coast, one way you kind of buffer a coastline from big wave events and high tides like we experienced a couple weeks ago, um, and especially if that happens with sea level rise and big storm surges and precipitation, is that you try to restore parts of your coast with beach dunes. And as most of us know, like Manhattan Beach, the reason we have this quick elevation gain here is because we're actually on a huge historic beach dune. These are dunes that we're on right here. And we've heard of, you know, Sand Dune Park that's over in the, the, the north end near the tree section in Manhattan Beach. So we also have, we can have beach dunes on the actual beach. And we have some of those, some semblance of them in Manhattan Beach, but they're dominated by an invasive exotic plant, the um, ice plant. And so there's not a lot of um, good local benefits to that as far as wildlife and habitat. And actually it kind of creates more flat dunes. So we're working with LMU and the Bay Foundation and LA County Beaches and Harbors and the California Coastal Conservancy. They're funding it fully with a grant, so it's not costing us any money. And we're working on a three-acre beach dune restoration. And it's kind of like a North Manhattan Beach, um, just south of El Porto, and goes a few blocks south of um, Bruce's Beach. And so it'll be about 0.6 miles of coastline, and it's oceanward of the bike path. Um, and we'll be, um, it's in the permitting phase right now. So next we'll go to our planning commission, then our, our city council to get a coastal development permit. And if all goes well, I think by this winter we'll be starting our local beach dune restoration. And so there'll be habitat benefits, there'll be coastal buffering and resiliency when we have these coastal storms. Um, and it'll be beautification because there's going to be native, it'll be native plants and our city flowers, the beach evening primrose, which is this lovely little yellow cup flower. It's gorgeous. And, um, other places where they've had these beach dune restorations, like in Santa Monica and Malibu, they're extremely popular, Where and people are asking for more and more. In fact, the city of Hermosa Beach is starting to pursue one similar to ours that might be implemented a few years after ours. And this is the kind of thing we want to see, because mm-hmm. it, it beautifies our coast, it protects us, and we're doing the right thing. And there's free grant money to make doing it happen. Doing the right yeah. thing <laughs> with grant money. Doing the right thing with grant money. I love it. Uh, Dana Murray, um, this is this is a, just a little view, a little window into your world. And um, we would love for all of our children and all of our grandchildren to have 
some some part in this this new brave future that saves their planet and makes it more livable for themselves and their children. Um, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you guys for having me. I always enjoy talking with you both. It's it's this is part of the services to the community. I think to give people that kind of information. Can you give that statistic again? A home with a gas range encourages more asthma. Oh yeah, there's there's studies. In fact, um, I'm going to be on a on a um, attending a webinar just in a couple weeks where they're going to talk about a new study out of UCLA that they did with the. Um, the California Energy Commission, where they assessed um, gas appliances in homes and what the kind of indoor air pollution is with those. So even if you didn't want to do it Mm. for the environmental reasons to reduce greenhouse gas emissions, there's benefits to your family to be healthier um, by getting rid of fossil fuels inside your home. Right. Wow. Wow. Um, Kelly? Are we going to replace our gas range? <laughs> you can start with the you can start with oh, the clothes dryer and the and the water and air heater and cooler. Those are the easiest things to okay. switch out to electric. Yeah. Okay. All right. Great. Well, uh, thanks very much, Dana. Do you want to give any contact information for the city's environmental sustainability department? Oh, sure. And we, the city has a new website. I don't know if everybody knew that. The city has a new um, website. It's manhattanbeach.gov. And so if you go to manhattanbeach.gov slash sustainablemb, um, we have a lot of different uh, web pages with resources for the public if they want to go green, information on Clean Power Alliance and things they can do in their own homes, and different resources and rebates, like what are the rebates and incentives you can get from the state and the feds if you get an electric vehicle, so things like that. Right, right. We, lo- we like Fantastic. And, and we like rebates from the, the yes. state and the feds. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a wonderful program and very, very hopeful. Thank you. I, ho- I hope it was. Thank you. Thank you. Have a wonderful weekend. Kelly, you have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Dana, for taking time. Uh, always a pleasure to have you on the show. And and likewise, everybody have a great Labor Day weekend. Alrighty. Bye-bye. Enjoy. Bye.